they'd buy me a beer, I'd buy them a beer. Uh, casual relationships, but that was I was poking around a little bit trying to find some things out. I knew they wouldn't be privy to hot information, but there were some things that were bothering me, like were there any speculations on how they were dying? Welcome back, crime fanatics. This is Kat. And I'm Steph. And you are here for, I believe, episode seven of True Crime Project. This is going to be a big one. It's a Steph episode, and she is doing someone that she is very, she's, she's been itching, I think, to do this episode. So oh, absolutely. <laughs> we'll uh, get to that, but. Before that, I wanted to hear about this wedding you went to yesterday. So, yours are killing me. <laughs> so, I showed you the picture of like Mike in his blue suit and then like mm-hmm. me. No, Mike or boy. Um, and man, yes. he cleans up good, doesn't he? Yes, you guys looked very nice in your in your first set of clothing that you wore to the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> so then, the, the all the groomsmen were allowed to pick out their own suits for the reception, and the groom is a, a huge Star Wars fan, and he actually wore a Darth, Va- a Darth Vader suit. His best man wore the the Joker suit. Um, there was a guy in a like Doug Dimadone like tall like cowboy hat and like this. Stupid, oh, I did see that suit. Yeah, and then it was like a Christmas sweater suit, and then there was a guy in a light blue pink flamingo um suit um one of the guys had on a custom made comic book one and then my fucking boyfriend that, was the one that looked like hot dogs to me right yes like, yeah it was actually like, like he had hot dogs on his <laughs> i was like what in the world <laughs> but my fucking boyfriend like is i hate him. is that what it was is he that had on a, a pirate hat but a fucking <laughs> Ben Franklin looking ass suit. <laughs> you guys, okay, so she sends me this first picture. They're going to the wedding and it's they look so nice. He's in this like GQ tailored suit. I'm like, oh, they look so nice. Then she sends posts these pictures to Facebook and it's like a couple hours later, he's had a total costume change. <laughs> he looks like I don't even know. I was like, what? hell is he wearing that? <laughs> I was dying. And then she sent me this the picture that had all of the guys in their suits. I've never heard of a wedding doing that before, but super fun and oh my god, hilarious. We have we should I wonder if they'll let us post that picture of these ridiculous ass suits, but um I'll oh, ask Breton. I'm sure he wouldn't <laughs> mind. <laughs> I mean my husband would love the Darth Vader suit, I'm sure, because he's a huge Star Wars fan, but they yeah, actually that- walked <clears throat> they walked into um the Star Wars theme song. I'm not a oh, Star wow. Wars fan at all. The Death March? Um, sure. I would assume so <laughs> since he dressed up as Darth Vader. I don't know anything about Star Wars. You get me on Harry Potter trivia and I got you all day long, <laughs> but not about Star Wars. Oh my god, that is so funny. That's so fun though. I mean like Good on the bride for letting him have that small, uh, whatever, whatever it is. I mean, so did, did they have like a normal cake or did they have any other funky like Star Wars? No, that was it. Like yeah. everything else was nice and normal. That's good. 
I mean, it's fun. That's super fun. So um, when he was going after her garter, they played um, Pony by Genuine. And he started doing like a little lap dancey kind of um, Channing Tatum. Nice. Ha- type dance to him and everybody was dying. It was funny. Darth Vader meets Channing Tatum. That's interesting. <laughs> okay. So you guys just really quickly, I saw this today and it was like so sweet and so heartbreaking since we're talking about weddings. There is a guy whose brother had passed away and his, he was getting married just recently and his wife arranged. So when his brother passed away, his organs were donated. And so the brother's heart went to this um, girl. I believe her name was Gracie and the bride to be arranged for the girl, Gracie that had gotten the, her soon to be husband's brother's heart transplanted into her to be at the wedding so that his brother could like be at the wedding. Oh, I know it was like, tears and like sad but like so happy like he was just so like it was the sweetest story you guys you're gonna make me want to cry tonight (laughs) I mean it's like it's a sad story but it was just so sweet and like I don't know it made it made me (laughs) made me sad got me in the feels today but I just wanted to share it really quick um I'm a little emotionally drained at the moment just because I went to so you do a lot of things when you're a kid because you have to. And then you don't realize that when you're an adult and you have kids that you're going to do a lot of things that you don't want to do also. But just because, like, I do a lot of things because I love my kids and not necessarily because I want to do them. <laughs> so there was this mother-son um, uh, bowling. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> and it's. For me, so the kids go to a school that's fairly big. It's like a thousand kids. So let's say half of those kids are boys. It's for any of the boys and their moms. Let's say half of the boys actually signed up. So at least like 200 boys are running around screaming ages like kindergarten through like third grade <laughs> in this place, sugared up, <laughs> <laughs> check, all this stuff. And then you have the moms and like, there are definitely some moms that are cool, like my neighbors and such were there. But then you have like the table of the mean girl moms who are there. And it's like, of course, that's, that's, a, table why... you... that's <laughs> a table you were sitting at. <laughs> well, no, that's the lane I was in, except I'm I don't know. It's just I don't like to be around a lot of people as it is. And to be in a situation like that is like ugh, it's just draining. Like I'm like are we almost done? Like he had a lot of fun. That's really all that matters. But I'm like, after being around that many people, I need to, I'm a hermit. I need to go back to my hole and be left alone for a little while now and move on. But yeah, it was, he had a lot of fun. It's a sweet thing that the school does, but it's like not my favorite. So I think that you need to um, tell them about the picture you sent me. What picture? <laughs> um, when you told me that you needed to vent, and I asked. Oh. <laughs> oh, the in the shop there. Yeah. Oh, so okay, so you obviously they have an arcade there, and my son was turning in his tickets, 
And they had a huge box of those giant plastic pixie sticks <laughs> you've gotten with your tickets. And I was like, I sent her a picture. I'm like, yep, we're not going to get these for sure. <laughs> Don't eat pixie sticks, guys. We all learned that in the first episode. So negative. Toss that shit out. <laughs> okay, guys. So we have quite a bit in this episode. It's probably going to be a long one. So we're going to go ahead. I'm going to turn it over to Steph because I know she's excited for this one and we're going to jump right into it. So I will let her go on from here. So by now, I think most of us have watched Mindhunter on Netflix. Um, I've watched both seasons a couple times now. Kat, did you ever finish it? I did not finish it. I got, I think at the end of the first season. Okay. I never got into the so a lot of my clients at work um, were actually telling me that I needed to watch it. And finally, back in August, I want to say, I sat down and binged both seasons in three days. I had zero life. I even took my phone with me skydiving that first weekend we were supposed to go and watched it while we were sitting around waiting for it to stop raining. Um, but it was this show that introduced me to the most fascinating serial killer to me um i know other podcasts have really covered this guy quite a bit but wait wait uh, back the truck up you didn't know about him before you watched mindhunter no get the hell out of here no seriously (laughs) okay go ahead (laughs) (laughs) i'm just like mind blown right now but (laughs) we all gotta learn somewhere i just didn't know about him um like, with the other podcasts doing this quite a bit, um, it makes me a little nervous doing it this early, but the psychology behind everything about Ed Kemper is just, it's fascinating. Um, <clears throat> so, Edmund Emil Kemper III was born on December 18th, 1948, in Burbank, California, to Clarnell Stage and Edmund Kemper, Edmund Emil Kemper Jr. Kemper's parents were very involved in his upbringing but when Kemper was nine his parents got divorced before their divorce he was reportedly a very difficult child go figure he was terrified of being physically hurt by other boys and was unable to maintain friendships with his peers Kemper's behavior continued to manifest in a particularly terrifying sociopathic way he would cut the heads off his sister's dolls and had them play gas chamber where he would sit in his in a chair, his sisters would blindfold him, and they would act like they were flipping a switch, and he would flop around in the chair like he was writhing in pain until he died. Which I is, mean, that's totally normal kids' games, right? Yeah, absolutely. You play that as a kid? I mean, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely um, not. <laughs> yeah, not at all. <laughs> Um, and then actually he buried his family cat alive and after it died, he unburied it, dug it back up, I guess, and dismembered it. And actually, he actually kept the remains of the cat in his closet until his mom found him. Uh, like, um, I need more information here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like it would stink. Yeah, I, it didn't say, like, how his mom, like, caught the Ew. cat thing. Yeah, I know. It's disgusting. That's, oh, God, that's <laughs> so 
horrible. Can you imagine? You have three boys. Can you imagine finding like a rotting animal in their closet? Oh, they would Especially go straight, like straight to county. Yeah, one of your pets, no less. Not even like just uh, a a random. Ugh. Ugh. No. <laughs> so after his parents' divorce, his mother's rage towards him got worse. Which I mean, she was kind of the woman that should never have had kids, but. Someone allowed her to reproduce. Unfortunately, that's the case <clears throat> in a lot of yeah. families. So his uh, mothers, his sisters, and Ed moved to Montana. And through a series of stepfathers, Kemper missed his father. Before the move, Ed's mother was domineering towards him. But after the move, it got worse. At age 10, his mother forced him to sleep in the basement because she feared he would hurt his sisters his sisters and his mother actually made fun of him for his size which i mean at 10 years old i couldn't find where it said how tall he was at 10 years old but as I mean, an adult so tall as an adult he was probably a huge 10 year old too right i mean he's six nine, 300 pounds like he's just a fucking behemoth of a man yeah he is um the only woman in his life um, never sh- maybe I should have typed up my notes instead of just writing them. <laughs> uh, so I did read somewhere that his mom made him sleep in the basement because she was actually afraid that he would like, like molest or rape his sisters too, which I yeah. feel like why would, why would that even cross her mind in the first place? Like I almost wonder if something happened to. Well, or if she was just a crazy bitch, could be either. I mean, she had she was a raging alcoholic, just an absolute like treat to be around. Um, <laughs> she's what you call a trash bag. But <laughs> um, <laughs> so until he turned fifteen, he lived in literal hell. The only woman women in his life never showed him any ounce of love. His mother found him unmanageable and god damn dour that's the word his mother had borderline personality disorder and was a raging alcoholic like i said at 15 kemper wanted to go live with his dad in la so he ran away but his dad and stepmom didn't really like kemper and they were disrupting or he was disrupting their new family and his stepbrother complained about him a lot so dear old dad said well, he's probably like he's probably like, Hey, um, there's some stinkiness coming from the rotting corpses and his <laughs> <laughs> uh, animal killer out of here. Right. But dear old dad sent Kemper to live with his dad's parents. And wouldn't you know that his grandma was exactly the same way towards him that his mother was? The only mm. person that really ever cared about him was his grandfather. He tried to teach him things, taught him how to shoot, took him outside and like tried to get him into like a pattern of normalcy. Mm. But obviously Kemper's brain was just too far gone at this point. Well, I do have to say I can't imagine taking a kid who shows that he has some odd let's say hobbies of like killing animals and 
pets and things. And then you're like, you know what? Let's teach him to shoot. That's probably a good hobby for this kid. That'll get him on the right path. I mean, it was 1963. Everybody or everything could have been solved with a gun. True. I guess you have to consider the time, but yeah, come on. (laughs) So Kemper was not happy at all about being left with his grandparents. After the holidays, he was even more pissed off that he wasn't able to go back to either one of his parents' house, but he started school anyway. And it looked like he was making some progress if going to a normal school and trying to be normal is progress. But he attended school in Toll House, California, which when I was researching this, I saw Toll House and I was like, I wonder if that's where Toll House cookies are made. It's exactly where my brain went with that city. And are they? Um, you know, I was too busy looking up Kemper that I completely <laughs> forgot <laughs> to research it. And then, you, and then she was like, I'm going to go have cookies and then forgot all about looking up. That's where they're <laughs> um, his teacher said he was quiet and meek. He didn't cause any trouble, got average grades and didn't draw any attention to himself, which I mean, physically, that's going to get enough attention anyways. Because of how huge he is. But, um, so you can imagine at 15 how big, you know, he really was with being as an adult. He's 6'9, 300. When he was at home with his grandparents, the situation was tense at best, but everyone was grinning and bearing it. They found him just as strange as his parents had. He tried his best to keep himself busy and out of his grandparents' way. He had a dog and a 22 rifle given to him by his grandpa. He shot rabbits and gophers. He even shot birds, even though he was told not to. Grandma stressed this every time he had the gun in his hand. Tell me he didn't kill the dog, though, right? Um, There's no reports of him ever killing the dog. Okay. And, and even in all the like confession tapes I've watched of, watched of his... He never says anything about the dog, so I'm assuming that the dog is fine, and we're just going to tell ourselves that he was fine. I mean, the dog's dead now. It's been decades, but I'm I'm glad he didn't shoot the dog, because that's exactly <laughs> where my head went when he told me he was given a dog and a gun. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, Toll House Cookies are from Massachusetts, not California, so well, what the we fuck? have that solved. <laughs> that's, that's false advertisement. <laughs> huh. So even though he was told not to shoot birds, he shot him anyways because he's such a big shot rebel, you know. Um, He was able to contain his weird fantasies to this one outlet for a while. After school let out for the summer in 1964, he went back to his mom and sisters in Montana and was supposed to spend the whole summer there before coming back to his grandparents. But he was home within two weeks. After his return, his grandma said that he regressed in his behavior. He was no longer trying to make an effort to appear normal. He was more sullen, more ominous. And now that he wasn't in school, he was at the farm daily. Ed found his grandma a nag, a nuisance. Um, it's a domineering woman, just like his mother was, who probably berated him on the regular. Oh, yes. And his grandpa, a boar. His violent fantasies returned, but this time his grandma was at the center of these fantasies. He oh. would, 
Yeah, he would imagine her near things as he would shoot. Like, say he, like, lined up a, a pop bottle or a pop can. He would imagine his grandma was the pop can and shoot at it. And... I mean, that oh, makes ahead. sense, though. You ever think about, like, when you're mad, like, think about something that makes you... Like, if you're doing, like, target practice or something. Think oh, about yeah. Makes you... I mean, it makes sense. Unfortunately, it's his grandmother, so that's... <laughs> A little dark. <laughs> right. Um, Grandma was not so happy that he had a gun. And every time she would leave the house, she would even take like one or two of her husband's guns with her. And um, finally, on August 27th, 1964, Ed was sitting at the kitchen table with his grandma while she was going over proofs for the children's books she was currently writing. I guess she looked up at Ed, and she noticed he had an odd look on his face. She told him to stop it, and she returned to her work. Ed reportedly picked up his rifle and whistled for his dog, saying he was going to go out and shoot some gophers. Grandma reminded him not to shoot any birds. And after he walked out the door, he watched Grandma through the screen door. Her back was to the door, and he raised his gun and aimed it at her head through the screen door and shot her in the back of the head. She immediately slumped down against the table, and he fired two more times. Well, you got to make sure she's dead, I suppose. Well, yeah, he, he even got a knife and stabbed her in the back also. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, he's just got to you know, double-check his work, you know. I mean, but here's the thing. Like, I really... There had to be... I don't know, things that happened to him that were never met. Like, I feel like he wasn't probably born this, like, no, I I feel like we don't get the whole story on what his mom and grandma actually did to him. So everybody likes to argue like nature versus nurture when it comes to serial killers. And I wholeheartedly believe that Kemper was nurtured into who he became. If one woman would have shown him like, an ounce of decency or love or just even like friendship. I do not think he would have done what he did. Hmm. But he was so young when he started though. Like it's almost like, I mean, yeah. a lot, a lot of people go have similar circumstances where their mom's a piece of shit or they're like people that are supposed to be taking care of them are total assholes and they don't turn into this. So it's almost that like, different parts of nurture and nature kind of combine in a perfect storm to create this shit face. <laughs> so he went back inside, grabbed a towel and wrapped it around her head and drug her body into the bathroom. A few minutes later, grandpa returned home from grocery shopping. Kemper said in a confession that he did not want his grandpa to feel the heartache of his wife being murdered. So he shot grandpa. Just lined him up right in the the sight of the gun and just shot Grandpa. And he immediately died. Did it say whether or not his grandfather saw him or was it just... No, he said that his grandmother was already dead by the time that Grandpa got home. But he just... he I guess it was his way of, like, showing his, like, some sort of love for somebody. Mm -hmm. Because he didn't want Grandpa... To experience that heartache. 
Yeah, so I'll just shoot you in the head, because that will fix it all. Oh, yeah. You know, don't you know? One perfect solution for no one, but... Right. <clears throat> but, so, after he shot Grandpa, Kemper called his mom in Montana, because she's the person you need to run to for advice when you do something fucking <laughs> stupid. Um, so he knew there was no way out of this. His mom advised him to call the police. When he was brought in, he confessed to everything, saying that he often thought of killing his grandma. He was held in a juvenile hall while the California Youth Authority decided his fate. A court appointed a psychiatrist diagnosed Kemper as paranoid and psychotic, and the Youth Authority committed him to Atascadero State Hospital. He entered the facility before he was even 16. Atascadero State Hospital was a secure facility, but wasn't a prison, so it was more like a, like, what you would call, like, a mental institution. Mm-hmm. Something along that's those lines. That's for youth? Yes. Yep. Okay. But, I mean, there were some adults there, too. That's just where the California, California Youth Authority sent him. Okay. Because he was there until he was He's 21. too young to put him in, like, regular prison. And you probably don't want to put him in, like, a juvenile detention center because he's clearly got some mental health issues as well. It's not just, yeah, weak. The purpose of this hospital was treatment, not punishment. They were trying to bless the unholiness out of him. I guess. Oh. I mean, probably. Away, we'll just. Uh... I mean, a lot of it. He he said he found God in there, oh. so I'm assuming it was like a faith-led mm-hmm. recovery center, and I'm using air quotes heavy right now. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know how those people that murder from the time they're young are very easily rehabilitated. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I want to go to Mindhunter real quick because in one of um, the first one of the first or second interviews that Holden did with Ed Kemper, by the way, the guy who portrays him is fucking phenomenal. He like embodied Ed Kemper to a T. It was an amazing job. Like I knew exactly who he was as soon as he walked on and it was they did a really good job. Um, in the in the interviews, though, Holden asked him if he thought that prison was like a rehabilitation, like if you can get better. And he said no. And he was like, how would you. What do you think would help? And he said a lobotomy. But then he's and I Holden asked if that doesn't work, then what? He said death by torture. Like his mind just. Oh. Does not, yeah. His mind just does not operate in the same way that ours do at all well but here's the thing what would actually rehabilitate him nothing like there's nothing that's gonna fix someone like that it's just not gonna happen a lobotomy would definitely i mean he'd be a vegetable and and unable to do those things so really (laughs) he's on the right track (laughs) yeah so kemper was put through extensive testing He began to understand the nature of the crimes that he committed and what others thought of them. 
One of the tests he was given was an IQ test, which he was given twice. And the first one was 136. But then the, the second test showed that his IQ was 145, which is fucking genius level, which usually is what you see when it comes to criminals like these guys. Oh, yeah, for sure. You see a lot of them that are super smart. And I don't even remember what a normal IQ is on an IQ test, to be honest. But, yeah, that's not unusual to see super smart criminals. They have to be smart to get away with it. (laughs) Right. He didn't accept responsibility for his crimes like ever, saying they were beyond his control. But because of his IQ, he learned... Basically, the language of the treatment and was super cooperative, did everything that was asked for him. Um, he actually worked in the psychology laboratory and helped administer tests to other patients or inmates, whichever you would prefer to call them. And he took a lot of pride in doing that. Yeah, and then he can memorize the tests and know exactly how to make them believe that he's all better. That's perfect. Yep. But because he was so eager to please, they were like, oh, he's not fighting us on anything. He's totally rehabilitated, which good job, 1960s fucking police. <laughs> like, Let's be honest, they're still doing stuff like that today. Like, oh, but he's a model prisoner. Yeah, because they're not stupid and they want to get out. Right. And as soon as they get out, they fucking go straight back to the shit that got him there. Yep. I'm back on my bullshit. <laughs> Sociopaths were usually uncooperative in tasks given to them at a Tascadero, but Kemper was always eager to please, which they took as a great sign, even though that should have been a huge red flag. Well, and his down- oh, Sorry. Here's the one thing that I noticed with Ed Kemper. He's not, he's a sociopath, but he's not narcissistic. He is probably in my, I'm not as, I'm an arm, armchair psychologist, I'm not in any way a doctor mm-hmm. but having a mom and a grandmother who berated him who treated him like shit he probably just wanted someone's approval and so when he like that's why he's just eager to please he wants somebody to be like oh good job good job Edmund. like you know like they, he wants someone's approval and he, he doesn't ha- seem to have those like narcissistic tendencies that you see in a lot of serial killers so i think right. that's part of it yeah and i mean as we go on when we get to the end you'll you'll see why that is the most truest thing about ed kemper is that he is eager to please Mm -hmm. um in his downtime at atascadero ed got to know other people and their crimes a lot of the stories he was hearing were from serial rapists great job let the fucking big ass giant looking teddy bear know all the other stories because he new ideas what else can he do (laughs) well he learned where those other inmates went wrong and got caught and he like filed all this knowledge away um at when he turned 15 you know that's when guys start to experiment with their sexuality i guess if you want to put it that way um And a lot of his sexual desires and wants revolved around killing his mom and getting off to it. He also learned where all the other patients 
went wrong and got caught. So he obviously shouldn't make the same mistakes and get caught. And he also didn't share his fantasies with his doctors. He actually claimed he found Jesus, which I told you. When these idiots believed that he was rehabilitated, they signed off on his release in 1969. He was 21. And at the height of his desire to kill of course, and to get laid because he's been pent up for all of his awkward teenage years. But the thing is, is like he went on like one date after he moved back to Santa Cruz, um, which I'll get to. But he said that he was just like a bumbling idiot. Like he took her to like a Denny's type deal and she was pretty and gorgeous. And he was just this giant nerd is what he called himself. Well, he'd been unable to have any of those normal interactions that teenagers have. Now he's 21, a virgin, going on his first date. Like, of course it's going to be awkward. Think about your first date when you were how old? How old were you when you went on your first date? Oh, God. 15? Not not 21. <laughs> no, not 21 at all. <laughs> so imagine, like, the first date you went on when you were 15. You were probably nervous as shit. You didn't know what you're doing, like you didn't have any experience, and that's exactly him, except he's 21 years old. He's dating people who, or this girl, probably has prior experience, and he probably did come off as a bumbling idiot to her. Yeah, but I was still nervous when I, like, you know the story of how I met Mike, but that's for like a way later episode. (laughs) Um. Maybe for the January special. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that'd be fun. Um. But, I mean, when we actually went on our first official date, like, I was nervous as fuck around him. And I don't even know why. Well, and imagine if it was your first date ever and, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and you're too old for it to be your first. Like, it's just, yeah, he didn't get to grow up like a normal kid because he was locked away being rehabilitated. So not only was he already fucked up, but now you add on this extra level. Yeah. So, as soon as he was released from Atascadero, Kemper enrolled in a community college. While he was attending college, he was still under the supervision of the California Youth Authority. Upon his release, he decided he wanted to be a police officer, but the state and local agencies have a maximum height requirement. So, 6'9", at 21, he should be 6'9", by this point. I don't think he was quite 300 pounds yet, but... He's still a large man, Um, but to make himself feel better, he bought a motorcycle, and I really don't feel like a dude that's 6'9", 300, should be on a fucking motorcycle. (laughs) I mean, it was a big motorcycle. (laughs) (laughs) Like one of the cruisers. (laughs) Yeah, like maybe a, uh, oh god, the trike with the... (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fall off of Wait, it. I, I am curious why they have a height limit for <laughs> police officers. Like, how does it hurt you to be a six foot nine police officer? That's my. <laughs> I'm curious. I have to look that up. <laughs> so I really don't understand that because I believe that there is a guy here in in town that is every bit of six five, six seven, like hmm. somewhere around there. Like he's huge. He's not very fast, but my God, if you run away from him, you better hope you can run fucking fast and he don't catch you. (laughs) Beyond that, though, he was doing really well at school. And after three months, he was 
paroled for another 18 months. His doctors at Atascadero recommended strongly that he should not, and I cannot express that enough, not be sent to his mother. And against their advice, the youth authority sent Ed right to her doorstep. Which of is, course. Yeah. Where, what other better place for him to be than back with the person who created him? Um. Yeah, I agree with that. So Kemper's mother had been married and divorced again. So she was now known as Clarnell Strandberg. She was an administrative assistant at University of California, Santa Cruz. She was really well-liked and respected. And the absence of Ed gave her several years of relative peace. But as soon as Ed returned, they began arguing. So loud, in fact, that neighbors in their duplex could hear them word for fucking word. Ed later said that she went right back to belittling him and hounding him relentlessly. He would hang out at a bar called the Jury Room, which a bunch of local law enforcement would hang out as well. And he was obviously still really interested in law enforcement and spent many hours there bullshitting with the other officers. They they started referring to him it's like his way to be one of them, even though he can't be a police officer, but he can just hang out with all of them. I really think that was a planned move on his part, though, to become like, quote unquote, like an ally, I guess yeah. you could say, because mm-hmm. he probably knew in the back of his head that it the shit was going to happen again and it was going to hit the fan real fast. But if he's in good with all these cops, then well, it couldn't have been Eddie. I know. Eddie could guy (laughs) um those officers actually called him big ed which is very appropriate (laughs) once you see his pictures you'll agree understatement of the century (laughs) kemper had various jobs but finally found a place with the divisions of highways which allowed him to move out of his mom's and into his own apartment in so i'm sorry california people alameda 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 yeah, that one. Yeah. yeah, sure. Which he shared <laughs> with, with a friend. He wrecked his motorcycle. Shocker. Right. Um, Twice. He did it twice. And he probably wasn't hurt because it was probably, you know how when you teach your kids how to ride their bike and yeah. they're like tall on it. So you tell them just to like stand up and let the bike fall, but they don't fall. I bet you he did that and the bike just kept going because his legs are so long. Oh, no, he got hurt. Oh, After, did he? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just picturing, like, the bike just taking off and he's, like, a mountain over it. <laughs> I could totally see that, too. Um, But the second time, he had to take time off of work to mend his broken arm. And with an out-of-court settlement, he was able to buy a car that looked a lot like an unmarked cop car. Of course. Well, he sure. bought, right? He bought a radio transmitter and a microphone and a large antenna, and began to pick up hitchhikers. Small, young, pretty, all females. He learned over time how to get these girls to trust him. He put plastic bags, um, knives, guns, and a blanket in the trunk. So, you know, it was basically, what did BTK call it? His hit kit? Uh, no. Uh. Oh, God, my brain. I don't know. Bind, torture, kill. He, his kill kit, maybe? 
Kill Kit. Hit Kit. I'm thinking of Israel Keys right now. I think that's what he called his or Kill Kits. Uh, I don't know. Um, so basically he had his own, we'll call it his hit kit. All yeah. ready, all ready to go. Um, it took some time for him to work up the courage, I guess, to oh, do it. Practicing. He, I read somewhere that he picked up like 158 hitchhikers over time to practice on, which yeah. is like practice makes perfect. Like that's some serious practice and patience. Well, when he would pick up these girls, he would actually reach over them to make sure, like feigning to make sure that the door was shut. And he would actually drop a chapstick down in the handle so they couldn't get back out. Wait, what? Yeah, so it was like obviously an old door where it's like the, you know, the part in your car now where you can put like a little phone or chapstick or something in it. Uh But that's where the handles were. And if you put the chapstick in it and there was no hole for it to slide out, then you when you hand in there to lift it. Yeah. Oh, crafty Ed. Crafty. <laughs> um, no. Okay. So on May 7th, 1972, Kemper finally had his moment. Marianne Pesci and Anita Luchessa both 18, were hitchhiking to Stanford. They were Fresno State College students. I couldn't find background info really on any of these girls, which makes me sad because we always focus on the life, the crimes, and everything about the criminal, but not a whole lot is ever said about the victims. Well, for serial killers, unfortunately, it seems to go that way often. Yeah. And not that we ever want to, like romanticize these crimes for sure because even though there are certain things about Edmund Kemper that make him relatable or almost like you feel bad for him in certain areas like cool but as soon as you start murdering people no sympathy you're done dude so I mean yeah sorry (laughs) (laughs) but they had the most unfortunate encounter with Ed He picked them up and told them he would take them to Stanford. After driving around for like about an hour, he made his way to a secluded wooded area without them realizing that they had, in fact, not been going in the direction of Stanford. Ed was familiar with most of the roads because of his job within the highway department. When he parked, he handcuffed Marianne, who was in the front seat, and then locked Anita in his trunk. He stabbed and strangled Marianne, but moments before he killed her, the back of his hand brushed against her boob, and he promptly apologized. Yeah, because that is the most worrisome thing about what's happening right now. But that just tells you, like, how juvenile his mind still is. Definitely. I mean, you're going to rape and you're going to kill these people, and then you're going to do some other shitty things to them. But yet you're going to apologize because you touched your boob? Like, grow the fuck up, Peter Pan. (laughs) (laughs) Also, let them them go. (laughs) Go take your anger out on the person you're really mad at, dude. Right. Um, He then went to the trunk and killed Anita in a similar way. 
Kemper put both of their bodies in the trunk and went to go home, which he was still living in the apartment, not at his mom's at this time. He was actually stopped by an officer for having a broken taillight. But this officer did not find or notice there were two dead bodies stashed in the fucking trunk because it's 1964. Like, who fucking how often do you think that happens? Like, if you got pulled over, let's say you or I got pulled over, which actually we'll get back to that at, at the end that I got pulled <laughs> over the other day after we were talking about um, speeding and things. But anyways, so either you or I get pulled over by a police officer for speeding or a taillight or whatever. They're not going to check your trunk. Like, I wonder how often close calls like that happen where things could have been very different and they're not because like, it was just a crazy coincidence that they got pulled over in the first place. Well, I think though that the cars now I wasn't alive, obviously in the sixties and I could probably ask my mom this question, but but you still weren't alive. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Uh huh. Um, it's been a long day, guys. But anyway, <laughs> um, the you could get to the taillights from inside the trunk. You so, still have to. Isn't that still how you? Well, I mean, they're more easily accessible, more like as it, mine are kind of hidden when you get in the trunk. Yeah. But you could like kick those those taillights out with your foot. Like oh. that's how exposed it is. So I would think that in having that thought in my head as a police officer you would want to look in the trunk to make sure nothing broke it from in there you know yeah i guess so but automatically if somebody's tail it's broken you're probably thinking either they hit something or something else you're not thinking like there's a body that kicked it out from the trunk (laughs) like from inside (laughs) i mean maybe we might because we're all fucking crime fanatics with crazy thoughts on the daily but i doubt the average person is well, maybe. I don't know. Police probably have the same crazy crime fanatic thoughts, I suppose. I mean, on a different level, but I would agree with that. Um, when he finally returned home, he found that his roommate was not home. He took the girls inside, took pictures of them, had sex with their corpses, and then dismembered them. So, cats, do you know what Eero... Yeah, now I'm going to say this wrong. It's I-R-R-U-M-A-T-I-O. Aromatio. Spell it again. I R R U M A T I O. I've never heard that word before. Aromatio? Aromatio? So that is the littler, littler, literal. There we go. Term for skull fucking. Oh. Okay, that's, um, why did, we don't, thank you, Edmund Kemper, we need a <laughs> that because of you. Good job, buddy. Yeah, he, when he dismembers, like, all of his victims, he always decapitates them, um, and he doesn't always perform aromatio on the, the bodies and, or the, the heads, but he definitely did with Marianne and Anita. Um, that's fucking disgusting. It's so disgusting. Okay, wait. So I looked up the word I R R U M A T I O. It's the active thrusting of a man's penis into or between one or more partners' body parts, including legs, breasts, feet, upper thighs, um, abdomens, throat, and mouth. Doesn't say skull fucking. <laughs> Are you on Urban Dictionary? I'm going there now. 
maybe they made that include this for him specifically because who the fuck else i don't think i've ever heard of another uh, actually i take that back there is one other one that i know of that did this partner yeah okay go on well now so, i'm getting on <laughs> um okay so number two on urban dictionary if you look up iramishio is to put it bluntly the act the act of face fucking delightful mm-hmm. yeah so anyways after his sexual gratification he packed all the body parts up dumped them near loma uh, some fucking mountain in california because i cannot say it um dumped their heads and hands in a completely separate place but just a few months later marianne's skull was actually found but after an extensive search, nothing turned up of anything else. Um, I did want to mention that all of these killings happen right after fights with his mom. Because, you know, she's the fucking source of all this delightfulness that, that I get to tell you about. Well, I think that's probably why he snapped that one day when he went out to pick up hitchhikers to practice on. Had a fight with his mom and was like, well, today's the day, guys. <laughs> So four months after he killed Marianne and Anita, Kemper picked up 15-year-old Aiku Ku, who was hitchhiking to dance class after missing her bus on September 14, 1972. She quickly, yeah, she quickly realized that they weren't going in the direction of her class and panicked. But Ed, being the master manipulator, was able to convince her that he was going to use the gun to kill himself and that she wouldn't be harmed. He actually locked himself out of his car at one point, but because of his fucking master stupid ass manipulation, he was able to manipulate his way back into the car. He tried to suffocate her once they made it up to a, a remote mountain, but she fought Wait back. Wait a minute. He got out of the car. He locked himself out of the car. She's still in the car and she fucking let him back in. Yeah, she was in the car with the gun and the keys. Oh, no. Come on, little girl. Come on. Make Uh-oh. sure your daughter knows that if some fucktard does this to her, that she needs to fucking get in the driver's seat and go. Well, here's the thing. If my daughter's hitchhiking, she wouldn't have to worry about an Edmund Kemper because I'll kill her myself. <laughs> but this is the 70s and that's what they did. So, um. So, unfortunately, you know, she fought back, and she did lose consciousness, only to wake up moments later. This time, Kemper strangled her with her own scarf. He took her out of the car, placed her on the ground, and raped her dead body. He then placed her body in the trunk and went to the jury room to have a couple beers, because that's what you do when you got a dead body in your trunk. And after that, he went to his mom's house. And later that night, he brought her body inside and dismembered her like he did the previous two. He actually kept her head in his trunk for a while and went to basically a parole hearing with the California Youth Authority. And in front of a board of psychiatrists, they he convinced them, you know, that he was still rehabilitated all while he had Aikuku's head in his trunk 
check his trunk, guys. He's not rehabilitated. He's got a head in his trunk. It's like Dahmer, Dahmer's with his uh, head in the closet in the box. Oh, God. Yep. <laughs> so another four months passed. And I just assumed that the fights with his mom were only, like, really bad on the nights that he's killed. But during that time, other bodies from different killers were found in the Bay Area. But Big Ed was not at all on a suspect list. In January 1973, Ed bought a .22 caliber handgun because, you know, with his psychiatric record and killing his grandparents, he was not stopped from buying this fucking gun. Um, unfortunately, he had no issues. So again, like, he he bought the gun, but still worried in the back of his mind whether the cops would catch on to the fact that he had a firearm. And um, tried to come take it from him. And he also had a forty-five handgun, too. Which... I mean, it's fine. He's rehabilitated now. He can have guns, right? Yeah. Just <laughs> has heads in his trunk. No big deal. At one point, um, the, the cops did, you know, find out that he had a handgun. And he sent two of the officers out to his house to retrieve it. Now I can't remember which gun they took, but I want to say it was the 22 because he got the 45 illegally. Um, <clears throat> but he was like, yeah, it's such a nice gun, isn't it? Like some kind of random ass comment to like find out which gun they were after to see how much, how much trouble he was going to be in. <laughs> <clears throat> Gotta feel those types of situations out. You don't want to like accidentally give yourself up I mean, for murder. Yeah. Only give up the guns that. oh man no so on january 7th kemper picked up 18 year old cindy shaw he stayed with the same mo of driving to a secluded wooded area he fatally shot cindy he put her body in his trunk and drove back to his mom's house because at this point he would he had moved back in with his mother he brought the body inside and put her in his closet because, you know, that's a great place to put a body. This is where you put the fucking cat parts. So why not put a fucking body in there? I feel when like there's a rule if you start dating a new guy or even if you have new friends, maybe you should check out their closets first. Because that seems to be where all these serial killers put their, at least in the 70s, it's mm-hmm. where they put body parts and their uh, trophies and stuff. It's kind of disturbing. Well, and also check their fucking, fucking trunks. like. Just just act, go go buy something, go on a date to the mall, get a bag of some shit, doesn't matter what, some popcorn, it's the holidays, and put it in the trunk. So that way you can make sure there's no fucking heads rolling around. Weird, but I'm going to need to check your trunk before we can go any further with this. Sorry. So, when his mom left the next morning, he brought her body to his bed and had sex with it. When he was done, he moved the body to his bathtub and began to dismember it. He also removed the bullet that got lodged in her head because that I wouldn't even be in the right frame of mind if I shot somebody to realize whether the bullet came out or on the other side. Like, I wouldn't be thinking about that kind of shit. Would you? If back up, if you shot someone and the bullet doesn't come out, the bullet then gets lodged in the skull. I mean, I don't know. I I can't picture any of this 
anyways. <laughs> like, actually, I don't know. I don't know what kind of mind state of mind I'd be in. Well, I'd be pissed because if I'm shooting somebody, it means they're in my house and I don't got time for that bullshit. So he but then put, I don't care if the bullet came out or not anyways, so. Right, because, I mean, you're not going to get in trouble for that anyways. No. Um, <clears throat> so he put the body parts in plastic bags and buried her severed head in the backyard facing his mom's window. And then he threw the plastic bags full of body parts off a cliff. But this time her body was discovered a mere 24 hours later. Well, that's good. At least she was found. Days under a month later, Ed and his mom got into a fight. He stormed out ready to kill again. He picked up 23-year-old Rosalind Thorpe and then just driving around with her trying to engage in conversation. He picked up 20-year-old Allison Lou. Yeah, I thought I wrote live there for a second. I was like, I know that's... Allison, the sweetest name ever. I know. Allison was nervous to get in the car, but with Rosalind already in the car, it reassured her a little. Also, um, Kemper had a UCSC sticker on his car, which cops had warned everybody to not get in a car unless they had that sticker. And remember, Ed's mom worked at the college, so he got the sticker from her. So basically, he found his loophole. Because he's she's causing the problem that's making him kill in the first place. Every time they get in a fight, he goes out and murders somebody lately. And she gave him a sticker that basically made it possible for him to do it in the first place. Because now people trust him. Right. If she didn't get killed, I think that she would have been tried for not controlling her child or getting him. He's an adult. He's an adult. But he's mentally unstable, obviously. Doesn't matter. He's a gr- he's an adult. You'll see in the story that we do. We have a special Thanksgiving story coming up, and there's unfortunately, if they're an adult, like she wouldn't have probably been tried for anything. Although oh. she's a shitbag, but <laughs> neither. <laughs> I mean, maybe in the um, court of public opinion, she would have been tried because she was clearly a fucking piece of shit too. But Oh, for sure. Sorry, I don't mean to talk badly of the... Of the dead. Yeah, but, you know. She was a trash bag. She was. (laughs) (laughs) Kemper did not change his MO this time. He drove up into the mountains, but this time he didn't even slow down or come to a stop to kill them. He pulled out his handgun and told... Well, I guess he would have told Rosalind Rosalind, to look at the view first. And then he drew his handgun and shot her. And it only took one one shot to kill her. He then fired, fired several rounds at Alice in the back seat. But Alice didn't die immediately. Once he got like out, more out of town and like out of the mountains, he fired the gun point blank, killing Alice immediately. Kemper pulled into a neighborhood like a cul-de-sac kind of area and moved the bodies from the car to the trunk. This idiot had to stop for gas also on his way home where nobody maybe didn't look in his fucking car and see all the blood that would be fucking everywhere. There would be blood splattered on the windows too, from a gunshot. I would think so. Unless he like kept driving and driving until he found a gas station that was like the jankiest of janky. 
But if there's no bodies in the backseat, like it could be a lot, there could be a lot of different reasons. And back then people minded their own fucking business. Ain't nobody checking out his backseat. I mean, that's true. But my dad was like the most friendly person in the world. He would talk to a stranger. Me, on the other hand, I'm leery of everybody and don't want any friends. <laughs> yeah, I think we're both pretty hermit-ish. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. So that night, he he pulled his car onto the street and beheaded both the girls. In the, the middle next- of the street? Yeah, while they were in his trunk. Wait. Like, his trunk is now his little workshop where he dismembers people? Well, his mom was home, so I'm assuming that that's why he did it out there. Oh, he moved back with mom. Yes. Okay. He doesn't have an apartment now to do his dirty work in. Right. The next morning, Kemper brought Alice's body inside and had sex with it. Which, I just, this is just fucking disgusting. It's just, no, as much as this story fascinates me. It fucking really grosses me out at the same goddamn time. So is this, it was, he was having sex with her body or is this another one? Does he always do? No. Or whatever skull fucking or whatever, we're, whatever we're, it's called, whatever these crazy kids are calling it. These <laughs> no, um, not with every person does he do that. Honestly, it was just those, those first two. And then, one more victim. Okay. So he also brought Rosalind's head in so he could remove the bullet that was lodged in her skull. He dismembered them, put them in bags, and disposed of the hands and, and heads separate from the other parts. I don't think Cornell knew what her dear old son was up to, much less even begin to think that she was going to be his next vi- next victim. Roughly another month after killing Rosalind and Alice, Easter weekend, he decided it was time to kill his mom. Carnell came home after a night of drinking and was completely fucking drunk. And if you watch any documentary, he always says the word soused when it comes to how yes. drunk he is. Yes, and, he does. It's very and, distinguishable for him. <laughs> yeah. And it, that word fucking drives me crazy because of how much he fucking says it. Well, and the accent he uses when he says it, he's like, she came home soused. Like, oh, I know. Uh, okay. Not, like <laughs> so the mommy way- got drunk. Got it. Mommy dearest came home a little tipsy. <laughs> the way that he presents himself, himself with like his, his high, you know, vocabulary and everything. He always just comes off so distinguished, but you have to like, he's the guy that you have to remember that he is a stone cold killer underneath that mm-hmm. facade. That he has as a front. Yep. Um, so she came home after a night of drinking. She went into her room, got comfy, and decided to read a book. Ed had entered her room, and his mom said, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. He only said, no, good night. Which seems awful polite for it, you know, to be old Big Ed here. Um, he ended up waiting up half the night before he finally grabbed a hammer from the kitchen and beat her with it. And he came back with a knife and slit her throat because, you know, beating her with a hammer wasn't good enough. 
He just a regular hammer. It's one of those claw hammers, which in my head, every time I hear a crime was committed with a claw hammer, for some reason, it just makes me cringe even more. Oh, me too. So, um, he decapitated. Yes, he decapitated her and engaged in your uh huh. Yeah, that, that word. He was yep, that one. His he was, mom, dude. He was skull fucking his mother. Like so fucking, many words that should never be in a sentence together. So many <laughs> words that should yeah. never be in a sentence together. Yeah, I really can't think of a worse sentence right now. But it just makes sense because it's Big Ed. This is what he does. Um, he sat her severed head up on a shelf, which is fucking gross. But he would scream at it for like hours and use it as a dartboard. Kemper is quoted saying, I put her head on a shelf and screamed at it for over an hour and threw darts at it. He also, (laughs) this is gross. He also cut her tongue and vocal cords out of her neck and her face. And put oh, yeah, down. I forgot he was an anatomy guy, so he knew. Yeah. Ugh. And he put him down the garbage disposal. But. Oh. Well, now she can't talk back to him. Well, no. No, this is this is not funny, but it's funny. Um, I guess the garbage disposal wouldn't chew up the those two... I don't know. I know you're talking. Pretty serious things to be putting down a garbage disposal. It's meant for like, like small things, not like human organs. They fucking popped back out and like landed on him. Well, that was her final. uh, (laughs) Fuck you. Right. Ed then hit his mother's body in his fucking closet again. I mean, can you imagine the blood? from over the years of these cats being in his fucking closet and how people have been in his closet. I mean, it's probably not as bad as his trunk. I mean, you're not wrong. So (laughs) he actually, when he got up and decided to kill her, um, I read that it was about 5.15 a.m. So after he did this whole long list of shit that he did to his mother and hit her body, he then went to the jury room to drink because... Natural reaction. You're going to go get a drink after you kill somebody. Yeah, I think I'd need a serious drink after that. Um, that when, so when he got home, he was trying to come up with like a plan of what to do because if someone came home and found his mother like murdered like that, they're going to automatically assume that it was him. So he thought if he pulled. Well, yeah, he killed his grandparents. Well, he thought if he would pull, if he, could get somebody else at his house and kill them that it would make it look less suspicious for him so he actually called one of his mother's good friends to invite her over for dinner and her name was sarah hallett she came over just that evening and ed immediately tried to strangle her manually but then ended up using the fucking scarf that he stole from aikuku he removed her clothes and then put her in his bed and sometime overnight Attempted to have sex with her body. It doesn't elaborate on attempted, but I mean, he probably either couldn't get it up or like, I don't know. I really hope that he couldn't get it up. I mean, for somebody really smart, this plan has so many holes. 
Yeah. But, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I really would expect more from someone that has 145 IQ, but... <laughs> so, on Easter Sunday, Ed rented a car and fled from California. He actually made it all the way to Colorado before realizing how exhausted it was being on the run when nobody was fucking even chasing him because he was friends with all the damn cops. <laughs> he he called the Santa Cruz Police Department trying to get him trying to tell these the police officers what he had done, like basically had them laughing at him because they didn't believe him. They thought he was prank calling them. Oh, uh, silly big ad. It couldn't have been you. You didn't do anything wrong. Right? So once the police got to him and pulled him, like arrested him or whatever, from Colorado to California, the detective is actually quoted saying that he did not shut up about his crimes the whole way home. All he did was tell everybody in that car exactly what he did. Oh, maybe and, he is slightly narcissistic then. Yeah. Or either that or he was just tired of holding it all in, which I, I doubt, but... Well, maybe. That's a lot. That's pretty heavy. Yeah. So once the police got him back to Santa Cruz, Ed, Lem- Ed led them to various dump sites, recovering, I think, most of the body parts. Um, Some of them were not all found. After the trial, it took the jury five hours to deliberate and find him guilty of first-degree murder on all eight counts. After a short period of observation at Vacaville Medical Facility, which is actually the facility at which he's interviewed on Mindhunter, and that's where Manson was as well, was mm-hmm. in Vacaville. Vacaville? Uh, I, sure. <laughs> I, I don't have the slightest idea. Maybe, Listen, maybe it is Vacaville. I thought it was Vacaville, but it could be. You could be correct. Know. You're the in one my head, in my head, that's how you say it is. <laughs> Ask your husband. Maybe he knows. Uh, maybe, but he's far away right now. Otherwise, I would. <laughs> so after the short observation, because he tried to commit suicide during the trial by using a ballpoint pen to slit his wrist, um, uh, he, <laughs> yeah, he actually asked for the death sentence. But they wouldn't give it to him. Um, I don't know if it was because California had like found it like unjust or not humane, I guess is the word I'm going for. But he is serving eight consecutive life sentences. Um, He has actually waived any parole hearings that he's been like supposed to have, saying that he knows he would kill again if he were out. And him staying in there is perfectly fucking fine with me. Um, but also, side note, I actually found the address with his um, prison ID number that you can write to him. Mm-hmm. And I showed Mike and he was like, don't you fucking <laughs> dare. Yeah, definitely do not write Edmund Kemper in prison. Um, idea. So my, my cop, wait, what if we got a PO box and wrote him? So see, that was my idea. I would get a PO box like in Columbus and use a fake name. And, um, but I told my cop friend that I tell you about all the time, uh, Uh Kevin, he was in the other day and I told him about it and he was like, you should totally do it. I think he is the only person that is like, yes, write Ed Kemper. See if he'll write you back. 
But it would have to be a way that he would never be at, like have your address or really any information, personal information about you. Like right. I would write him with an alias and use a PO box of some sort. So. Oh, for sure. Ooh. I know. <laughs> if you if you got to write one serial killer, who would you write? Ooh. Um. Well, so here's the thing. So I'm kind of obsessed with Golden State Killer, but I wouldn't waste it on him just because I feel like he wouldn't give you any information. Like, he's not a talker like Ed Kemper. So Ed Kemper intrigues me a lot because I feel like he'd be one to be like, oh, yeah, here's my entire life story because he's just very chatty. Open. So, yeah. Yeah. So maybe Ed Kemper. I'd have to think about that one. That's a hard question, but. That's a that's great a question. One. Yeah, for sure. I I was on Reddit and because I was trying to find like any type of forms of other people who have written Ed. And I guess like now with like Mindhunter, he is tired of like the fangirls really and doesn't ever write anybody back. But I bet that if you. Huh? Ed Ed Kemper is? Yeah, he won't. He won't um, write anybody back. Oh, I mean that makes sense, I guess. Then and we don't. Then we don't need to waste our time. But yeah. I feel that if you could let him think that he was controlling the situation, he could. He would write back. Like how Holden, you know, on Mindhunter gives him like little snippets of him. Yeah, that makes sense. You just got to make him believe that he's in charge. Yeah, I think that makes sense, but I don't know. I don't know. I wonder if you if you came at it as not only that, but like maybe because it's like for a podcast or like other. Hmm, there's got there might be an angle where he might actually respond. Right. But that's all I have, and that's my most fascinating story of all the serial killers. Yes, he's definitely an intriguing case study for sure. He's, very, I think, very different than most serial killers you see, just as far as, like, his personality. Like, he doesn't, I don't know, like, the politeness of things, and, like, he's almost like this southern belle, but then he's, like, like very prim and proper, but then he's obviously below the surface, like, full of rage. So it's like, yeah, he's he's an interesting specimen for sure. Yes. I mean, I didn't know about him until this uh, until Mindhunter came out. But since Mindhunter came out, I've like fucking watched everything on YouTube. I've read everything on the Internet about him because he is just so fascinating. Yeah, he is. And. I, I hope people listening don't think like that we we side with him or that we think he's like I don't know I don't know what the right words are to say it but basically he's a piece of crap even though he had maybe some rough life and but he, at the end of the day he's a murderer period he's still shitty but the story is interesting and seeing for me the psychology behind it is always the interesting piece like. How did we get here? Why Why are these things happening? Yeah. I mean, 
I say that he's my favorite serial killer, but like I don't I don't justify any of their crimes. Ninety nine point nine 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 of all of them, I believe, are guilty, and they need to do time like their time for their crimes. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it's just like the psychology behind him that is so so fascinating. Yeah, definitely. Oh man, that was kind of a roller coaster, guys. Yes, yes, it was. But now I got my favorite one out, and now I'll go back to bringing stuff from Ohio. <laughs> yeah, and we ha- we do have a special um, uh, Thanksgiving bonus episode that'll be dropping this week on Thanksgiving as well. So I definitely want everybody to check that out. Um, I'm trying to think. I feel like there's something else I wanted to cover here, but... Um, so I had something else real quick. While I was at work today, I met the cutest little guy ever. Um, he actually has his own YouTube channel. His social media is Cody, C-O-D-Y-J-J-A-Y. Um, he does makeup tutorials and skincare tutorials. And he was just this fun little soul that sat in my chair. It was a bright spot in my day today. That's the best. That's awesome. I told him I needed to follow him so I could find out how to girl. <laughs> <laughs> You're a beautician. You should know how to do makeup. Um, They didn't teach us that, actually. Oh, is it only if you go to school to be an esthetician that they teach you makeup? Then? Um, I think at more of like the Paul Mitchell Aveda schools, they teach you makeup more intensively. But like at a career center, they kind of just teach you what you need to know to pass state board. Ah, makes sense. Yeah. And we don't have to do anything with makeup for state board. Well, that's good. That now you can be a girl. <laughs> so he's on. He, I was looking at some of the Instagram things on him when you followed him. Uh, he does makeup way better than I ever could. That's for sure. So. Yeah, he showed me his Instagram while he was still sitting in the chair, and I'm just blown away because you know if I even try to like attempt a smoky eye. Then I look like the hooker that died in the, the alley the night before. <laughs> yeah, I'm not rocking any smoky eye either. For sure <laughs> not since I was like 21. And even then I had this girlfriend who would always do my eyes for me because it just is not my thing. But Yeah, my friend did my makeup yesterday for the wedding because I don't trust myself. <laughs> you didn't want to go there looking like a hooker? It would no. be perfect for, for your pirate. Oh, my God, no. (laughs) (laughs) All right, boys and girls, it has been a little wild ride. Mr. Edmund Kemper is one crazy whack job. I I guess I didn't even really realize that he is still alive and, like, riding in a cell, which I'm glad that he is. But um, if you enjoyed our podcast today or any of the other episodes please 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 go give us a rating on apple Podcasts, and definitely come follow us on instagram true crime project if you have any interesting stories or any unsolved stories around you um or any really that you just would like to see more attention on definitely email those over to us actually even if it's not necessarily like a murder just like an unsolved crime or disappearance um 
Email those to us at truecrimeprojectpod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. Um, and then definitely go head over to Twitter if you have an account and follow us there. Our It's True Crime Project, but our handle is at crime underscore project. And we will catch you next time. So don't keep bodies in your trunk or in your closets. And actually, if you go on dates or make new friends, check their closets and their trunks to make sure there's no body parts in them. <laughs> and don't eat Pixie Six. <laughs> and still, <laughs> yes, from episode one, still continue. We're, we're not changing our policy on that. That, <laughs> no. All so, right. All right, everybody. Have a great Thanksgiving. I mean, we'll have one that drops, but... Yeah. Have a great Thanksgiving. Have a good holiday. Bye. Bye.